Get up, get up, get up. Listen. A dedication to my peoples on the front lines Standing for justice with the fist up like a sunrise Those the folks that chose the road to toe the tough line Hold it steady, ever ready, never run at crunch time Rain, hail, sleet, snow, marching in the freezing cold Meeting on the weekends, planning how to get to freedom road Dreaming and scheming on how we gonna defeat the foe You the lighthouse in the storm, we can see the glow When it goes down, just stand up When a man's down, the woman up Lift us up, give us love and strength when it's hard You the voice when we hopeless and don't know how to respond Now, imagine it all just Welcome to the Berkeley Underground Scholars Podcast. On today's episode, your host, Daniela Medina, will be talking with two of the co-founders of the Underground Scholars, Danny Murillo and Stephen Zifra. Danny and Stephen will discuss more about the early days of USI, get honest about mental health, and tell us why their famous appearance on 60 Minutes with Oprah was their least favorite interview. All right. So today we have our founders, co-founders of Underground Scholars, Stephen Zifra and Danny Murillo. So we're just going to keep it real casual today. Um, you guys are really famous and have done plenty of interviews and talked a lot about the founding of Underground Scholars. But if you all can just briefly go over how you all started Underground Scholars at Berkeley and how this how this idea came about. I guess... Uh... It really came about just um, having conversations with other people, right? When I first got to Berkeley in 2012, um, you know, I was kind of open about my experience, only when I was having private conversations with with, with people, right? And and some of the first people that I met and that I I, I told that I was formerly incarcerated um, that were related to the university was, you know, um, Fabricio Mejia, who was EOP um, counselor at that time. Francisco Cacique, who, who was a, a doctoral student at that time, he's now Dr. Cacique, professor uh, or retired emeritus, you know, Chanel should retired, uh, uh, Pat, Pat Hilden, and then also um, Dr. Victoria Robinson, right? Um, it, and it happened that, you know, um, they were, Pat Hilden and, and Francisco Cacique were already having a conversation about starting this, creating a space at, at the Transfer Reentry Student Parent Center. And that's kind of how it came about, right? Like just, it was just a, a matter of just having a space, right? And um, but even before that, though, I, 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 ended, I, met, I met Stephen the first day of school, right? <laughs> the first day of um, official day of the spring semester, uh, fall semester of 2012 um, in the Transfer Reentry Student Parent Center. I wasn't expecting to meet someone that was, you know, maybe formerly incarcerated in jail or, you know, some, you know, uh, minor cases, things like that. But I wasn't never expecting to meet somebody else from that had been in Pelican Bay Shoe, right? And so when we met and, you know, within minutes of just having a small conversation, we both discovered that we had done time in Pelican Bay Shoe, right? And me, like I said, I was kind of open about my experience. And I remember, um, you know, Stephen could speak on it, but he wanted to be more, more, more on the quiet side about it, you know, but things just happened, right? Things just happened, not just with the underground scholar work. At the same time, while that was happening or, or getting kind of building up, um, there was also the organizing going on for the third and last prison hunger strike that was, you know, being organized by the men in California in, in, in Pelican Bay State Prison in solitary confinement, where me and Stephen were at. And I think getting involved with that also kind of amplified the work of underground scholars on campus, right? When, you know, being, doing interviews with people and be like, wait a minute, you're, you were in the shoe and now you're at Berkeley. And, you know, um, I think that kind of gave us a platform, right? Yeah, that reminds me. I, um, 
before before I think it was like the orientation week. I'm not sure, but I I um, tried to I tried to uh, sign up for some kind of volunteerism, or somebody told me to go to Styles Hall or like this place called Styles Hall. Go there. They do the kind of volunteerism, and so that I was thinking that I was you know talking with um, the EOP counselor about, and that counselor was Fabricio. Yeah. And so I didn't know him. I didn't, you know, I just wanted to like, you know, kind of give back. So I wanted to get maybe in the juvenile hall or something like, uh, like I was, I divulged to him is what happened. I told him about my history and he was like, Oh, you should go to Styles Hall. They do a little juvenile hall, you know, volunteer program. So I went over there and it's funny because I walked in and Jennifer was like, um, like first thing she did was make me check the box. Like, are you formally incarcerated? And I was like, yeah. And then she basically let me know in a, really gentle way that that wasn't going to be able to do that, you know, but it's just so funny how like it was Fabricio, it was Jennifer Styles Hall. Um, it was just really um, an auspicious beginning to my, um, to my undergraduate. And then, um, so yeah, it, you know, it's funny. Cause like before I, you know, when I was in prison and then I got out of prison on a personal note, like everybody I knew had been in the shoe, like even in, not in the shoe, but like all the prison yards I've been to, everybody I knew, all my friends from, you know, where all around, anywhere I went, I met people who've been in the shoe, you know, for years, nobody. And then I walk on to UC Berkeley and like the first person who talks to me, you know, is a formerly incarcerated person who, uh, you know, was in the shoe and definitely something was lining up. I don't know how or what, but, you know, I, I don't even, you know, like the, the um, student parent center, I felt really uncomfortable there. You know, I'm a student parent. You know, I was a EOP um, participant, transfer student, DSP, like I, all the little things that they have in that area. I, I kind of checked those boxes, but I didn't feel at all like I was in the right place. And then Danny walks up and he's like, hey, you been in the shoe? Not for real, <laughs> I, but like. Something like that, but something like that. <laughs> yeah. Danny, Danny, what were you doing at the Student Parent Center? Uh, I knew that it was also like a place for re-entry students, right? And I knew that re-entry meant anybody that was 25 and older. So I identified as that, you know, same thing that, same thing as, as, um, as Stephen mentioned, man, like anything that where I can mark off a little box that, okay, well, let me see what resources they have there, you know? And, and um, so, yeah, so I kind of knew about the re-entry student prayer center because also Fabrizio Mejia's office was like right around the corner, right? Um, from where we would, you know, um, one of the offices, right? So, but yeah, that was the first day of school. That was um, uh, first year of school, and then that kind of became one of my go-to places. I even ended up having a job at the Transfer Reentry Student Parent Center, one of my first student jobs, right, on campus. Um, but, but I also wanted to say that, that you know, um, when we started having these conversations, right, it, it really became something more serious when we started having those um, critical uh, reading um, prison studies group, right? In the spring of 2013, Pat Hilden and Victoria Robinson created a class, right? And it was just a reading group, right? You know, they told me like, hey, Danny, you know, uh, we're going to recreate this reading group. Want to bring people around that want to read, that want to read about prison, that want to have discussions about prison and the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration. And so I started, you know, asking people, you know, started asking people, hey, you might be interested in this. When we first showed up, you know, like um, the first day of class, pretty much everybody in there, right, were like, you know, either formally incarcerated or had some type of uh, connection to the carceral system, right? You know, I'm thinking about, you know, David Manzonado was there, Steven, Wendy, and just kind of, we started meeting, you know, meeting every every week and we'll even invite other people to come join us. 
And, you know, the conversation just started like, you know, what can we do with, with what we have here, right? Like, what else can we do? Like, you know, and then that's kind of like how that conversation about really starting the space kind of really start, kind of began, right? Because it was out of those conversations, out of that reading group, that then we started meeting at the MCC, right? And, and we brought in the folks from Project Rebound. And, you know, and, and it was once they came on board and kind of told us like what we needed to do, because we were just thinking, we weren't even thinking about a student group, right? We weren't even thinking about, we were just thinking about, let's build a space, like let's build a center, right? Let's build a program like Project Rebound. And so they came and they kind of told us like what we needed. Like you need a, you need a, an office, you know, you need a phone and, and, a, and a PO box, right? That's what, he, that's what they said, you need, a, you need an office, a phone and a PO box. And um, that's to start with, right? And so like, well, how are we going to get that? You know, shout out to to Violeta, uh, I mean, to, to Wendy Pacheco and, and to uh, Valerie Jamison, right? Because they were also co-founders of Underground Scholars. But it was through them that they found through student government that there was a grant that we could apply for if we were a student group. So that's how we started. So, so, okay, well, let's just start off as a student group. We'll apply for this grant. It was 135000 um, to start up, you know, a, 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 you know, we got space at Styles Hall and, you know, and yeah, you know, so it, it was really through, through building a student group that allowed us to kind of move into now creating a program, right? I remember working with, um, with Wendy on the constitution for the student club or organization. And uh, we got so lucky. Somebody beat us for the name Phoenix Scholars by one day. <laughs> yeah, we were almost the Phoenix Scholars. Yeah, that's uh, it, it was it was somewhere at Stanford, no? No, it was here. It was it was a student organization at Berkeley stole. Yeah, there's like Phoenix Scholars everywhere, but it's just like, and then we fought over a name for a year and a half. We we could we didn't come up with a name for a year and a half. I came up with a bunch of dumb ideas, um, but um, yeah, we uh, we worked so hard on that constitution, and it's just it, you know, we could have just put we could have just like plugged and played but we didn't know you know we thought like this is really what we're doing you know like we're gonna really do this um you know uc berkeley student organization structure and it, it didn't wasn't we were like meeting in the basement of the roach for a long time yeah that was great i remember i remember also um when we first started having like these um initial meetings about what we wanted to build right because we first we weren't thinking about a student club we were, we were automatically thinking about like let's build a program I remember even thinking about we're going to build a research center that people, scholars around the world are going to come study at, you know, about our carceral studies, you know, and I remember even Pat Hilda said, we're going to call it the Danny Murillo Stephen Sifra Center. <laughs> we're going to get a co-op and stuff and get one of those Victorian houses up on Frat Row. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but I remember, I, I do want to say, though, like, when we first started having these conversations, we were very idealistic about what we wanted to do. Like, we were, like, not idealistic, but we had these very broad visions, right? Like, like for one, for one, for sure, like, you know, we talked about bringing people home, right? In particular, like somehow figuring out a way where we could bring lifers home. Even though we didn't play a direct role in that, people are coming home now, all our lifers, right? And, but there's no doubt that our presence in these universities, not just at the University of California, but also the Cal States, the community colleges, the, the, the successes that we're, that we're achieving is playing an, a, an instrumental role into motivating people to want to come home, right? You know, now, you know, you, you look at fucking people, you hear people in prison now, right? hopeful about coming home right when before in the 90s you know when i first went in we're like we're we doing life we that's it it's a wrap you know we're never coming home right and now some of those same people that were thinking that way are not like nah man you know i'm getting ready for board I, i'm doing this i'm doing that and and we, we're playing a role in that right with you know um not just with the work we do out here but also with the work that we do on the inside right there was also this uh 
wanted to start a mentor program with 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 with, with youth in the name you know in, in in oakland right and there were just so many things that we wanted to do right but um you know we always forget that we we, we don't even got an office <laughs> When I first met you, Danny, you all were had a, a small little office and a couple students and not a lot going on. But I guess one of the questions you at you answered, you both answered the question of what your vision was for USI, and you both kind of said it was very broad. So I guess a question that I have: did you did you guys ever think that USI would be what it is today? As I was logging on, I was thinking like because I see people on Instagram uh, at different schools rocking um, underground scholars. You know, there's all these pictures at these campuses. I don't have no idea where they're at. And I'm thinking like today's, uh, you know, what we're doing today is like very like full circle. I just sent in my last um, assignments for my, for my degree, you know, for my master's degree. It's like, it's, I don't even know what to make of it. I know, like people are like, oh, Steve and Danny, I have nothing to do with, I was just like a warm body, you know, that um, I was like opportune, like it was an opportunity for my, for me to just basically stand there and like say words. And then, uh, but like so much going on that Underground Scholars is that has absolutely nothing to do with me. And um, so I just want to like, you know, if I could, erase some of that history, erase some of that, um, that, you know, cash a, or that credibility. Cause like, I don't, I don't feel any kind of ownership or take any kind of credit. You know, I, for me, it was fun. You know, I was just having fun hanging out with cool people, you know, Giselle Flores used to clown my ass, you know, hard, like nobody clowned me hard in years. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when she found I was a white boy from a neighborhood, she just thought that shit was funny as fuck. Oh, sorry. She just thought that sh- that was like, just like I was just, you know. Blood in, blood out. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, she's hardcore, man. Totally love and respect Giselle. Um, but yeah, I like it's not even it's not even a matter of statewide anymore. It's just like uh, it's getting into the DNA of the UC system. They're going to just, you know there's no way it's ever going to do anything but get bigger and more robust and more helpful. You know, all the programs that we have right now, except for like, I think the incarcerated scholars, but all of the little the ambassador, the mailing, the, the transcript analysis, uh, the, the office, the, you know, just the unofficial kind of case management, all that stuff was in that first little office, that first little rinky-dink rundown office in Styles Hall. We had all those programs going, but it was just like, oh, there's mail. Who's going to answer it? I don't know. It sat there for two weeks or until somebody came and was like, this ain't right. And they would get it and answer it, you know, or like ambassadors, what's that? I don't know. Let's just talk to some people at, you know, this college and see if we can get them to do this. And then it's, you know, it started firming up into these, like, now they're like these institutionalized, there are these pathways and these resources and these power conduits that people can like, you know. Um, so yeah, in answer to your question, no, uh-uh, I didn't. You know, I had no idea. Yeah, I have no, I have no vision for underground scholars. You know, I, we all fall into this work, right? We, we, I didn't come to to Berkeley thinking that I was gonna, you know, do this work, right? I, I, I already kind of have my mindset of like, you know, my thing was. Latin American studies, neoliberal policies, uh, NAFTA, 
and you know um, U.S. fucking uh, policy on Latin America, right? And and this comes from like um, the literature that I was reading in prison, right? When I was in prison, I used to uh, get this journal called the North American Council on Latin America. I was one of those people that I used to read everything, like from cover to cover, right? Even like the CD cases, right? Like the, I used to read the CD cases and like who produced it, who's who's mixing, like for instance. If you look at Tupac's All Eyes on Me, there's a guy named Hector Elizondo on damn near every track, right? He's either mixing, producing, playing guitar, playing bass. But anyways, the North American Council of Latin America, I, when I would read it and I look at the authors, there were all these uh, scholars, right? You know, I kind of didn't even know what scholar was, but there was all these individuals that, you know, at the University of LA, uh, Berkeley, uh, NYU, Latin American Department, Latin American Studies, and, and but there were, you know, um, they were producing things that I was enjoying reading, or like things that not that I enjoyed reading, but it was making me conscious, right? Um, it, you know, it was a lot of um, North American Council of Latin America talks a lot about you know the uh, U.S. oppression, you know, and through economic policies, right, that impact Latin America and, and its people, right? Like same shit, like what's happening right now in Colombia, right? These are uh, uh, North uh, neoliberal policies that you know that are being put in place and are hurting the people. I kind of wanted to study that, right, um, and kind of focus on that, right, and then um, I just kind of fell into things, right. Uh, when I came to Berkeley, I got into a research program, and I started learning about school to prison pipeline, and it felt very easy for me to write about that, right. It felt very easy to write about school to prison pipeline, and that's kind of how I kind of got steered more into the prison work, right. And that's how I met Pat Hilden, you know, and Victoria Robinson, you know, and, and you know, things kind of just went from there, right. I had like an academic path that I, a path that I wanted to follow and I thought I was going to follow, but I kind of got steered this way, you know? But yeah, I was all about that. I was all about that uh, 17th century Puritans, Shakespeare and John Milton. And yeah, so I wasn't really on any kind of, my, uh, my, my, my goals were, yeah. They, they've changed since then. I got, you know, I, I became, uh, I became woke. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I remember when Danny invited me to the prison reading group, I had to like choose between uh, Shakespeare and the prison reading group. It wasn't an easy choice for me because, yeah, man, I was just like, oh, man, I'm looking forward to the Shakespeare class, you know, and Shakespeare is bad. I know people don't like Shakespeare or whatever, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's funny because like all that, all the names, you know, like the you know, the, the theories and the names and the scholars and the, you know, calling out this and like, that's, that's always in like running in the background of my mind now. It's, um, you know, I got reeducated. It feels good. You know, like I, I'm glad I didn't go down that, you know, I'm glad I didn't go down that, um, that I didn't follow that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, um, very committed to that. And so this is a lot more fun. Seems a lot more useful. You almost were going to be in a fraternity is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like when I said, Giselle used to clown me for being white, like I'm super white. Like I'm like, you know, check button downs and just, you know, trying to like, I was trying to slide in there. I wasn't doing very good, but. <laughs> yeah, but no shirt, you know, to, to the top, you know. Mm -hmm. You both said earlier when you first met, you kind of said that. Danny, you were a little more open and Steven, you were kind of a little bit, you know, trying to be a little bit more under with it. And so I guess my question is, you know, what was your reason for that? Or is there a reason why, you know, you wanted to be a little bit more low key? Because um, I imagine there, there are going to be other people listening to this 
who, you know, are formerly incarcerated, who may be on, you know, other campuses or thinking about transferring or even thinking about higher education. But there's like something that, you know, um, that's there that's present. So I'm just curious, Stephen, what was that for you? Yeah, well, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like a secret. I wasn't like not telling people, but um, it was it, I was it was definitely stigmatizing for me. Like, well, first of all, it's stigmatizing like, you know, the, the internal stigma feeling less than, you know, telling people, you know, that I've been to prison in my world. It didn't have any, uh, it wasn't going to be productive in any way. And then like, am I going to get a chance to explain to them like all of the like horrible things that happened that led to me becoming imprisoned, you know? And like, no, it's just like, it wasn't going to be productive. So I wasn't going to, before I started with up, you know, um, with the hunger strike um, advocacy, there was, it wasn't helping anybody that, you know, there wasn't any programs that could help, you know, like, so there was no good reason yet. Also, like uh, the UC Berkeley English department thinks very highly of themselves for good reason, uh, because, you know, they are they have a lot of wonderful faculty, you know, um, I'm going to say that like I love the I love the UC Berkeley English faculty, but like the program as a whole, like if UC Berkeley has a stick up its ass, it's the it's the English department. And so, yeah, why would I be the guy, be the prison guy in there, you know? I didn't give it a lot of, I didn't, I just didn't come up, but as soon as it came up, I was like, yeah, um, this is gonna, this is gonna like help something, you know, like my, all that experience in prison and stuff could possibly be, could possibly benefit somebody. So that was easy for me once I figured that part out. For me, it was, um, I kind of already knew like in, at least in community college, right? I started realizing like, because of some of the literature that we were doing in, in, in the Puente program that I was in, right? We were reading some books where it really emphasized life experience, right? Um, and the program does that, right? Like the program is set up in a way where they want you to draw on your life experience as a learning experience. It was really at community college where I, I kind of started telling people that I was formerly incarcerated. Before I got to Berkeley, I was like, I already kind of get into the school to prison pipeline stuff, right? Because like, like I said, I got into a research program before I got into Berkeley and like, I was like, and what the hell am I going to research? I don't know. I, what, what, what is research, you know? <laughs> And, uh, but I got into this program and, and I remember um, I went to an event in South Central LA and a PhD student from UCLA was talking about student prison pipeline, did a PowerPoint, like that's what I'm going to do. So anyways, um, but when I was in, in community college, I was very open about it and, 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 um, and I kind of started feeling, in a, you know, to look in a way where uh, my, my, my thinking was that if my presence as a formerly incarcerated person makes you uncomfortable, is that you probably live in a bubble right, where you're not impacted by the system the way I am, right, I, I go back to my community, I live in my community, right, and, you know, maybe like four months ago, I mean, not four months, like four weeks ago, my homie just got out, right, he's right down the street, right, um, so I still live in a community where, where people are, you know, are, are, are impacted by, by incarceration, so for me, it's normal, right, um, if, and so for, um, you know, I remember somebody had told me, like, maybe you shouldn't be open, so much open about your experience, like, you know, it makes people uncomfortable, like, what does that got to do with me <laughs> if it makes them uncomfortable, right? But maybe, maybe it'll be a learning experience, right? It'll be a learning experience for them that they can, you know, take back and, and learn from, right? Uh, and realize that we live in a carceral state, right? Um, but I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I was very open about it, right? Was that I'm here to remind you like, yo, I'm a formerly incarcerated person. There's millions of, of us just like me out here. There's, there's millions of us that, that, that are on, on parole and probation and, or some type of community supervision. 
there's two point something million that are incarcerated, right? And so, you know, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, then, man, that, you know, man, you must be privileged, you know? <laughs> yeah. Steven, you're finishing up your master's. And Danny, you're in the master's program, right? Mm-hmm. So you've all come pretty far from the, the first day you met at the Student Parent Center. What do you think are the most pressing issues for formerly incarcerated students on campus? now that you've gone through undergrad and, you know, graduate school? I think for, for sure, one, one thing is um, um, housing, right? Um, you know, I know that formerly incarcerated students, transfer students are guaranteed housing for, for, for one year, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna have housing next year. And, and also uh, without having access to, um, you know, whether it's financial aid, um, employment, to be able to pay for their housing, it, it, it's one thing. I think another thing, right, that, that's come up is, um, the transition, right? The transition from like once once folks are finished and they've got their degree, like what 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 comes next, right? Um, in terms of employment, um, and I think sometimes we we end up continuing in school because we don't find no other option. Career advisors being more informed about the barriers that formerly incarcerated people face with the conviction history, and to be able to figure out like what what are the like best career fields for people to to kind of think about following, right? Or even if there are barriers, like what said, who says that we can't push back on those barriers and start organizing against that, right? Um, I think Stephen had talked about recently creating like some kind of um, collective of uh, social work, right? Doing something like that that can push back on the uh, on a collective of, of folks that do social work that can you know push back on the licensing barriers that um, folks encounter, right? Um, or even same thing with like the bar association that was created by Frankie Guzman and, and James Banal, right? For for formerly incarcerated law students, folks that want to pursue the bar, right? Um, but I think the licensing barrier is definitely a, a, a something that we're going to uh, continue to, to encounter, right? You bring up a good point, Danny, uh, or a good, uh, uh, there's a good idea in there because they, the, they have the UC Berkeley Career Center. I went in there once and I, the person was ill-equipped to support me. Like we could actually, you know, we, underground scholars um, could probably, you know, get, Maybe, I don't know, get them to hire somebody who's a specialist who fosters relationships with um, with entity like people within licensing boards, people within companies. Um, and then even like talk to maybe give like a talk at the beginning of the semester. Like, for instance, if you go to this is I don't know if it's still the case, but if you went to prison at a certain point, you could get taught how to cut hair and then you get out and then they wouldn't they wouldn't let you cut hair in California because you couldn't get a license and so it was like a program like the prison was spending millions of dollars to train barbers like not like barber school like not just on the yard but like so when you get out you can like be employable and then people get out and they couldn't get they couldn't get a job they couldn't get licensed and so there may be some of that going on you know I want to be a trauma therapist I have all of my felonies are um are considered serious or violent and they're all dumb on paper that look like a monster but like in real life it's like spitting on a cop you know kicking it with my flip-flop you know the point is are they really going to give me a license you know like that's just an idea i don't know and i think you know you bring up a good point too right that in terms of the question that um daniela asked right and talking about trauma right i think that's something that 
at least for me, right, it took me a long time to to face that, you know, that I needed that help, right? Um, and you know, when I was in community college, I wasn't going to talk to a therapist in prison. That's that's out of the question, right? When I was when I was in community college, I remember my um, my mentor Armando Soto, he would always tell me like, Danny, you need to go, you know, go to uh, DSP. And I'm like, fuck that, I don't need that shit. But the same thing that I would have done in DSP, I was literally doing in his office. I'd be there for an hour and just unpacking and you know telling him all the shit that I'm going through and about how I'm so worried about my little brother and my nephew, you know, getting caught up on the street, you know. But I didn't know that, right? And then when I actually went to therapy, I was like, oh shit, this is kind of the same thing I used to do in therapy with, with my with my mentor was like just sit here and talk, right, to my therapist, right? But when I, it, you know, for, for about two years in community college, like, you know, and even when I got to Berkeley, like, nah, I, don't, I don't need this shit, right? Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't need no therapy. I don't need no therapist or none of that. And it wasn't until the hunger strike work started. Through, through the hunger strike work, it was a lot of the people in the hunger strike, in the prison hunger strike uh, solidarity coalition that were telling me, you know, Danny, you should think about going, you know, go do some self-care, right? You know, um, or some, you know, go see a therapist. And I was like, can I put it off, right? But yeah, okay, yeah, you know. And it wasn't until um, it was someone else, right, who also had the same experience as me as a formerly incarcerated person. And it was uh, Manuel Lafontaine, right, who's uh, from up north, right, he's, you know, which you would call a Norteño, right? And, you know, I'm from Southern California, so I'm a, a student classified as Sureño, right? And um, he was part of the hunger strike movement of the work that we were doing up there. And it was him who told me, like, hey, carnal, you know, you really think, think about, you know, go, go see a therapist. And he was the one that invited me to my first, um, to my first sweat lodge, right? Um, in Pacifica with some um, some elders, right? Um, and that was powerful, right? And, and so ever since then, you know, like I, I really invested in, in, into, you know, making sure that 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 I got that that support, right? Um, especially through my employ through my work, right? Through, you know, if you got a therapist, like I'm on it, you know what I mean? Like I gotta have those those scheduled meetings and stuff like that. You know, I think that, that's important. Thank you, Danny. Oh, thank you for sharing that, man. I, uh, you know, uh, grad, graduate school um, really hurt my feelings, really hurt my mental health. Uh, I, I dropped out of grad school a year or so into it. I was incapable. The only reason I finished is because of the pandemic. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I wouldn't have finished. I know that. I would have. There's no way. Um, and it goes back to you know, your question, like the, the barriers. Um, like I'm a parent, you know, and when it comes to my, when it comes to like being in Berkeley, doing well and being a parent at the same time, it always comes down to a decision. Every assignment, there's a decision. How competitive and successful do I want to be at school or how much of the tab do I want my kids to pick up? How much of my children's well-being am I going to sacrifice? You know, am I going to try to get an A? That means they are going to get less parenting. They're going to get less love. They're going to get more being barked at or having me stressed out or, you know, um, just being, having less resources to nurture them, support them, you know? And so for any, any student parent who's, you know, at the transfer center or underground scholar or whatever, it's for me, as far as I could tell, it's always a matter of how much am I, I'm giving, I'm going to give up some of my children's well-being uh, because there's no way to, to do Berkeley without, you know, sacrifice, uh, but how much of that? And so if you're formally incarcerated, if you're traumatized, things like neutral, regular life things that just people, other people don't even seem to be 
uh, notice or like affected by because they just know like, oh, if I turn in a late paper, nothing bad's going to happen. I'm, I might not get the best grade ever, but I'm not going to not going to perish. But if you have trauma, turning in a late paper could feel like dying. You know, like Berkeley was Berkeley was designed. The coin of the realm for Berkeley is is uh, giving undergrads more work than they can handle. That's the coin of the realm, right? So if you are one of those robots who doesn't affect them and they just rise to the top and they go off to have their good life, like Berkeley was designed to be difficult for the most well-resourced, healthiest, supported, socially ready, economically ready, young white men. That's what it's for. And it's supposed to be difficult for them, right? And then it's just a sliding scale from there, you know? So if you got trauma, you got kids, you're poor, you're, you know, you're taking the bus, you're like, you just, you know, you're single parent. Um, it's, you know, there's lots of barriers. <laughs> we need a program. You know, I think people look at us and they see us, oh, you're at UC Berkeley or at any of the universities. And it's people automatically kind of think, oh, we have in the reentry world, we kind of have the easy way out. You know, we're in school, we're out here living the best life and it's like not really taking into account like all the trauma um because for me one of the biggest things was like the deadlines something about deadlines did something to me like triggered me in a real bad way it just I wasn't ever able to really overcome like the stress and anxiety and trauma whenever there was deadline it, it had something to do with like time I needed everything to be structured uh, not knowing what the outcome would be like all of that was very triggering for me as somebody who spent time in prison so I think you know you all are bringing up really good points about um, what it is to be an underground scholar because people see us and it's like, you're an underground scholar, you're at Berkeley, you're at this university, but it, it comes with so much more that I think that, you know, is not really talked about and that we never really get to address and that we should address and definitely have to work on getting more resources for trauma, for mental health. And for some reason, that seems to be like the hardest thing to get. Yeah, the deadline thing for me was like, it was always a fight, flight, freeze, thing so I would get a paper assignment I would be really hopeful like oh I love I love having this like time to write these assignments I feel really good about this and then like I just freeze up and then like that here comes the deadline it's the day the paper's due and now I'm like running you know I'm just like mm -hmm. writing just not great stuff and just trying to get it in and um that's really what got that's how it, that's how I ran, got ran out of the program the MSW first time was there was a there was a deadline that I missed you know it was like a busy work assignment that didn't accept late submissions and I'm like you know there's you know my whole world fell apart because of a late assignment literally started drinking alcohol got kicked out of school homeless literally homeless marriage fell apart everything fell apart because of that you know that's not normal you know that's pretty abnormal so yeah and it happens those those are the things that happen to our students that again I think is you know we don't talk about and I think because we're trying to address them doing you know with peer support and doing the best that we can and I feel like 
we're always trying to look out for each other, but it's hard, especially now that we have so many members and we have so many underground scholars. It's really hard to kind of like keep tabs on how everyone else is doing. Um, but yeah, thank without you. Losing, without, you know, also keeping tabs on yourself, right? And is there anything else that you all want to share that you think, you know, maybe you haven't shared before when talking about underground scholars? that doesn't get included or that's interesting. About that interview with Oprah, right? Nah, I, I hated that interview. That interview was freaking garbage. Well, because they didn't really, um, you guys didn't talk for that long. You weren't able to talk for that long. Yeah, I'm sure you had a lot of great things to say. And I, I think it was actually because of what we said that they didn't air everything, right? Like, I think Oprah went in there thinking that we were going to be these, uh, these smucks that were like, oh, we're so grateful that we went to prison because it saved our life. Right. And we're like, no, nah, fuck that. Fuck the prison system. And she was not expecting that, right? And, uh, and it, more importantly, that it was coming from me and from, from Steven, too, because Steven was more eloquent than me. <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it was weird, yo, because like, then they ended up showing just like, you know, less than a minute of that interview. The thing that the thing that really just hurt my feelings the most that would just you know because clearly when they showed Jeffrey Beard crying on camera you know um, the director of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation you know the crocodile tears you know they didn't mention underground scholars mm -hmm. they didn't mention that like you know here are these people who. Um, who, you know, were where you're at now, because like probably a hundred and something thousand people, more people like that who are incarcerated have seen that episode. Cause I used to watch 60 minutes all the time. And like, if they were like, Hey, let's do a quick little intro or a little, you know, one of those things on the bottom where it says, you know, uh, Berkeley underground scholars had these guys are, you know, they're at the underground scholars, anything, you know, um, it's like, why not? You know, what was nothing, nothing that they did was by accident. You know, they had a very specific agenda and it was, you know, it was uh, like just making monsters out of us, basically. You yeah, know, all three of us, right? It was me, Stephen, and, and um, another gentleman from um, who had just graduated from Humboldt State University with his bachelor's, right? Um, and, you know, none of us got mentioned as, as, as a, uh, college graduates, you know, um, true inmate or whatever the hell it was, you know? Um, and so that, that kind of, that, that definitely irked me. Right. Uh, but yeah. yeah it took me years to get over that years. I, I wrote Rome Hartman, so many emails. He's the producer. I wrote him like six emails and I never sent it because I was, I didn't want to give him the satisfaction. You know, I was like, it's done. He doesn't care. He made a million bucks. He doesn't, he doesn't care about what we do. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, Oprah sent your professor a message, Stephen. So you sh apparently you should have been happy with that. <laughs> what happened? I said Oprah sent your professor, Kurt Organista, uh, a message. Oh, really? You didn't yeah, see remember, remember the video? I didn't, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You were supposed to do an orientation that day, remember? Yeah, that's so true. Stephen was supposed to do an orientation the day that we did the interview. And a couple of weeks or maybe like a week before... I had asked Stephen, like, hey, Stephen, you want to do this interview? He goes, oh, let me check in with my professor. And he already sent the email to his professor. And the prof uh, organista wrote back. He just put uh, Oprah in capital letters. <laughs> That's true. I forgot all about that. 
Yeah, they uh, posted it on the School of Social Welfare's Instagram. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but you know, it's been fun though. You know, like um, you know, we've had different opportunity to do different things, right? You know, um, we also did that New Yorker interview, right? Um, that was, you know, it was okay. Uh, but it was, it was also again that that it only included men, right? You know, and it was like kind of this hyper masculine trope of formerly incarcerated violent men, right? Um, because yeah, so it didn't include you no. Know, they even talked to I believe they they, they had talked to Shalita. Right. And maybe Violeta, but they, they didn't get included in the, in that story. So like every time we every time something comes out, we would always complain, right? Like, yo, man, we don't we you weren't supposed to say this, you weren't supposed to say that, you know? Yeah, the uh the New Yorker fact, the fact checker contacted me and like we talked for like an hour and I was like, that's not true. That's not true. Because they like go through the whole thing, like, is this true? Is that true? Like fact checking? No, it's not true. That's not true. Don't don't say that, don't say that. And they said it all anyway. They didn't do it, they didn't change the goddamn thing. So it's like, you know, that's when I really was like, you know, this is, uh, I'm going to start writing my own. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give them my story anymore. I'm going to write my own story because I'm a better writer than I think almost anybody I've seen write about me, including New Yorker. I'm, I'm a better writer than Limbrissa or Farquaad or whatever her name was and all those people. Um, so I'm just going to write my own thing, you know? And um, yeah, like that's, that's another thing is like we get, um, I, you know, I didn't know which way it was up. Cause like there was the, um, hunger strike, you know, so I'm like out there like, okay, hunger strike, hunger strike, hunger strike, just to get the hunger strike, you know, um, uh, on, on, on film or on press or whatever. And then it became underground scholars and it became like, you know, uh, golden boy makes good, you know? And like, I didn't, those lines were those, those kind of jumping off places where they weren't clearly delineated, like there were like this like liminal like overlaps and stuff and like looking back now like it's like nah man if somebody could have just pulled me up and would be like no man they're they're taking and they're not giving back you know um and then it's like oh yeah i don't want to get i don't want to you know be their dummy so that's a good point because one one of our other questions was what do you wish you knew then that you know now so that kind of ties into that yeah what i just said i wish i wish because like being schooled right so i'm sure danny was schooled long before he ever got to prison you know uncles and like neighborhood um like people from the neighborhood probably just like getting him ready for the life that he's you know certainly going to going to the path he's going to take you know and so for me i didn't have a lot of that growing up but like when i got to prison like people were like okay you don't know anything come here i'm gonna school you so you don't you know you got a little heart and we don't want you to like you know ruin your career so you know okay like keep your shoes on stay clean treat people with respect don't touch other people's stuff you know you get school and so um you know go sit over there you know um you know throw the handball back um and so um and then you get to Berkeley and it's like, hey, come here, you know, like, we, you're interesting, you know, you're in, you know, they want me to tell them about myself, like, that's, I can talk all day about myself for hours, you know, I could talk about myself till, you know what I mean, so, yeah, that's, that's what I would wish somebody school me, you know, like, no, are they, it's the New Yorker, they're going to make millions of dollars, are you getting any of those millions, you know, what are you getting out of it? Like, what I do know, like, I've personally heard people say, like, oh, the New Yorker thing, that changed things for me. 
So that was like, okay, cool. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that, Stephen. Um, I would also say, um, you know, um, like what would I wish I'd known, right? Um, and I think not necessarily what I wish I'd known, but I think um, most importantly, like, are we transmitting what we know now to others, right? And I think it's important that that um, we, we share this knowledge, right? Like it has to be, you know, um, um, kind of, um, you know, written down or something, right? Like what's called, there was somebody from Project Rebound, Ayerto, Ayerto used to always tell me like, Danny, you, you need to write this down. Like from when you came from the shoe, to Berkeley, dog, because like not too many people have done this, and you need to, you know, create a, a, a this blueprint or whatever you call it, right? And um, but I think that's not necessarily have to be my story, but I think um, starting these like you know like Berkeley Underground Scholars has the the ambassadors program, right? Starting these leadership program, right, where we're educating folks about like how do you tell your story, you know, um, how do you advocate for yourself at a micro and a macro level? How do you, you know, what's what's self care, right? What's What's trauma? What's you know? Um, what's coping? Healthy co coping mechanisms, right? Like all of these things can be encompassed into like some type of leadership development for folks on the inside and on the and on the outside, right? Um, to be able to, and then you know also what can you do with education? Like what you know what can you do? You know what's what's an AA degree? What's a bachelor's? All these little things break down for folks, right? To be able to understand um, what it takes to succeed, right? And also to be able to take care of themselves. Well, I think for what it's worth. Um... I hate that, you know, you all didn't have anybody to school you when you got to Berkeley, but you all definitely schooled us, you know, um, when we got there. And I think for me, going to Berkeley was just as scary as going to a new yard. You know, that anxiety when you go to a new prison or to a new yard and you're like, okay, I got to reno everything here, you know, and you're kind of, you got your guard up. And, you know, for me, it's when I got there, you know, the lifers kind of pulled me in there. They showed me everything, how to, how to make my bed. Like, oh, no, we don't use this wool blanket. Throw this out. This is how you tie your bed. You know, yeah. just everything that was like, to me, it was a whole nother world. I'm like, what? You're telling me how to make my bed? Like, what do you mean it has to be this tight? Like, you know, and, and you all were able to do that for us, you know getting to Berkeley, definitely just, okay, this is who you talk to. Um, these are the counselors. Um, you know, these are, these are the people on our side. So, I mean, for all it's worth, you all were able to, you know, create that blueprint for us and, and everybody coming after us because now we're able to do that for other people. Thank you. Yeah. I wanted to, like you said, uh, like the, who the people on our side, I wanted to mention a couple people on our side. Because yeah. like when I failed out of the MSW, it took like 15 people, 150 emails and like a whole bunch of political capital and social capital and, and capital to get me to where I could finish my degree. And, and that never would have happened if it wasn't for underground scholars and that and underground scholars and me, I would never have happened. And underground scholars, I don't think it ever would happen if it wasn't for, you know, the, uh, Victoria Robinson, like she's been an unwavering, staunch supporter of underground scholars. Like she's, she, everything I've ever applied to, she wrote me a letter and I got in, you know, I'm, and like Dave Stark, Fabricio Mejia, Fabricio and Diana team, Kurt Organista, you know, um, yeah, I'm not even going to try to name everybody, but just the underground scholars. So if you're a faculty and you're listening to this, 
those people, like they just, they don't get any money out of it. They don't get like, they don't, it's not helping their career in any way. And, and you can see the light come on in some of those people's eyes when they're like, what? Formerly incarcerated people? Like, are you know, like, oh, that seems like the, yeah, that's a, like a, a really great way to apply my, you know, to spend my political capital that I've acquired around here. And like, it's changing lives. Like, you know, those people have, uh, like legacies, whole legacies of like generations to come, generations and generations of people to come, their lives are going to be different because of Dave Stark, because of Victoria Robinson, because of Fabricio Mejia, you know what I mean? So it's just really astounding. Like you could like teach somebody to write another paper, teach somebody another, you know, how to like break down a theory, but like those people, like it, it's, 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 it's hard to even wrap my head around it. I know my family, like my sons, uh, they, you know, they saw me get a master's degree from Berkeley. I try to discourage them from going to school. I'm like, dude, go work for UPS and be happy. But like my son's talking about, he's going to, he's going to go, go to school, you know? So anyway, yeah, man, just wanted to say that. Um, I think one of the things that um, in terms of what we all were saying about um, having that support, right? Um, when you, you know, in, in terms of um, referring to the prison yard, right? Um, what's interesting was that uh, I remember one time I was having a conversation with um, uh, Eli used to work at McNair. And I remember having this conversation with Eli and he was telling me, Danny, you know, um, I trip on you guys on underground scholars that every time a new student comes, you guys always bring them over here. You take them to, to summer underground research. You take them over to Haas you know, um, and you're like introducing them to everybody, right? And they're like, you know, that's which is technically, that's something that we do on the yard, right? We don't exactly do it like that. We don't take somebody to the canteen, like, hey, this is the homie that works the canteen. This is the homie that works the kitchen, right? But we kind of, you know, inform people like who's who, right? And who's doing things on the yard. If you need something like, hey, that's what you talk to, right? If you need this, this is what you talk to. And same thing um, at Berkeley, right? Something that, that we were doing. Um, and I think someone that was great at mapping that out was uh, Mac. Right. Matt created that NAPCAL. Right. Um, and that came out of like, you know, or um, inspired out of like us taking people across the campus. Like, yo, this is a resource that you need to tap into. This is another resource you need to tap into. You know, and he really took, you know, sat down and mapped it out and created a, a whole freaking ass program out of that. Right. And, and I think that's amazing. Right. Um, that, you know, we were able to do that. We, we you know, we were already things that we did in prison, um, things that we learned within prison on streets. Are, we are now turning those skills into something positive, right? And then I also wanted, another thing I wanted to talk about, right? Um, you talked about, you know, that we're changing like generations, right? Of, uh, of our family and our community, right? Like for me, you know, um, I think for me, my only goal when I came home from prison, right? Was making sure that, that my little brother and my nephew didn't fall in the same um, path that I did. And that was a path that they were willing to follow. And they were, you know, um, actively involved right to get there right uh, you know my little brother he's been you know got a, he caught a case for a gun case you know um he beat it right because we got him a lawyer right but he was looking at five years my nephew went to prison and he's been in the system since he was like 12 years old you know and for me you know um when i came home i, I knew that i had to set a different example right um because I, I couldn't just talk to them and tell them look man you need to change your life you need to do something different right because that's not going to be enough right uh, and i needed to set a different example and the only way, you know, one way that I was able to do that was through education, right? And, and um, to be able, you know, just to create a new life for myself. But in the same, in the meantime, like going to Berkeley was strategic for me, right? For my own personal health, right? Like I, I wanted to get out of my mom's house, right? And um, I wanted to just have be in my own place, 
you know, and, um, but going up there, it was also just for myself, but also it was an opportunity for me to bring my brother and my nephew, right? Even though they would go up there with me for like a week or two, you know, they'd go, then they'd come back to the hood and fucking back to the same shit, right? But then they'd go up there and, you know, little by little, they started staying longer and longer with me and they were able to, you know, create their own community within the community that we already have, right? With the underground scholars, right? And really allow them to, 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 um, to do something different with their life, right? My little brother is now an undergrad student at UC Santa Barbara, a double major in sociology, poli sci, and my nephew, um, he still lives in Berkeley. He's, he, he works as a cook at, at, uh, at UC Berkeley, one of their dining halls, and he's also an uh, undergrad at Laney College doing their associate degree for transfer in culinary arts, and, and is planning on transferring, right, next year, you know, um, to Cal Poly Pomona to, they have a, a program for, for folks that are doing culinary arts, right, and uh, so for me, in, in a sense, like, I've accomplished what I wanted to do, you know what I mean? But I think there's also a lot more work to do, right? And, and, um, and, and however I can support, not just, you know, my brothers, but just, you know, just anybody that's trying to do something different after incarceration. I think that's um, what I'm here for, right? That is so, and it's like amazing. I mean, just, just talking about like family and everything, but, and, and just in general, I mean, I think that um, so many people have been inspired by you all, even if you don't think you're doing much. And Stephen talked about, you know, I was just there. It's like just seeing you just there is like a lot. It's big because I remember in 2013, it was right before I was going to parole and the incarcerated student program where I was taking correspondence courses are like, you know, there's some formerly incarcerated students at Berkeley. I'm like, no, nah, you're tripping. Like, that's you're, you've got it wrong. They're like, no, there's a group there. And I'm like, at Berkeley, they're like, yeah, seriously. And I got connected right when I came home um, with Violetta and Danny. And, you know, I came to campus, I had to see it to believe it. And like I said, they were in a tiny little closet space, you know, with the phone, at least I think maybe you had a phone, you know, but the, I was really just inspired to like apply and all the community that was given to me and you know here here we are now um just graduated with my master's at UC Berkeley because of that you know um and and also three people three women that I was incarcerated with have been accepted to UC Berkeley since then when do you see that people that you were on the yard with are now you're on the yard at UC Berkeley now I mean it's incredible so, you know, we really just want to thank you both for taking the time to be here, for talking with us. You know, you're both busy. Um, and just thank you for, you know, all the work that you've put in uh, over the years and for continuing to share your story and um, for continuing to open the door for other people. We thank you and we just really want to honor the path that you all have blazed for us. Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to um, thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's um, humbling. Um, I want to also uh, fail to not fail to mention that um, when we were between uh, directors, Daniela carried the organization uh, and and also got good grades enough to to get into a, a prestigious uh, social work program. Uh, so I don't. I don't know. I had no idea how you did it. I was like barely like making it. You know, making it through the day and like so that was. Uh, the organization is, uh, you know, is strong and, and the, the continuity of programs and, and the, all the things you held together, pretty, pretty outstanding. It's pretty un, uh, it's astounding. Yeah, I don't know how, but thank you. Thank you. I think it was all in the stars, honestly. Yeah.
<laughs> that concludes today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed listening. If you would like to learn more about the Underground Scholars and want to stay connected, follow us on Instagram at the Underground Scholars or go to our website at undergroundscholars.berkeley.edu. Dedication to my peoples on the front lines Standing for justice with the fist up like a sunrise Those the folks that chose the road to toe the tough line Hold it steady, ever ready, never run at crunch time Rain, hail, sleet, snow, marching in the freezing cold Meeting on the weekends, planning how to get to freedom road Dreaming and scheming on how we gonna defeat the foe You the lighthouse in a storm, we can see the glow When it goes down, you stand up When a man's down, you woman up Lift us up, give us love and strength when it's hard You the voice when we hopeless and don't know how to respond Now, imagine if it all just Underground Scholars on the Tier podcast was produced by Natalie Verducci, narrated by James Carlin, features the music of artist Rico Pavon, and brought to you with the support of UC Berkeley's Ethnic Studies Department.